This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And that music means it's time for Wish. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN MVSW time here on the uh, on the old program every Wednesday. Hello, Wyshynski. How are you, Greg? Doing great. Doing great. Very entertained by uh, Doug Armstrong's press conference this morning. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's let's yeah. let's just get that out of the way. There's there's a uh-huh. there's a few things I want to go over with you, but that one. Listen, I've always said this, Greg. It may be low hanging fruit, but low hanging fruit is still nutritious. What did you make of the Doug Armstrong press conference this morning and the information that came out of it? What was perhaps most striking to you as he addressed the media about dismissing Greg Berube? The the part where he said that they could beat the Avalanche in a playoff series. Like, all you got to do is get into the playoffs and you could beat the Avalanche in a playoff series. He said that. He said that during the press conference. And then, but the part that struck me is that in the the same press conference where he says, all you got to do is get in and you can beat the Avalanche in a playoff series. He said, you know, it was unacceptable that the Blues lost to the three teams they've lost to recently, which includes the Red Wings, by the way. So the idea that, Despite this roster being supremely inefficient and and poorly constructed, uh, and the reason why Craig Berube is out of a job, if they get in, they got a shot to beat the best team in the West outside of Vegas. But if they deem to be defeated by the quote-unquote dregs of the Western Conference, well, then you must fire the coach. This man has the most warped view of parity that I think I've seen in quite a while in this league. (laughs) <laughs> well, the the thing the thing the thing that struck me most about his his comments that that winked at just get in and anything can happen. If you look at his behavior as a manager, he doesn't believe that. No, he like, doesn't. How many times have we this seen is... Doug Armstrong with the St. Louis with the with the St. Louis Blues come trade deadlines? Like there was one a couple of seasons ago, a few seasons ago. They're like three, maybe two points out of a playoff spot. And, you know, Doug Armstrong saying, like, yeah, that's it. We're trading everybody. And everybody goes. He's like, you're in a playoff yeah. hunt. Yes, yeah, the Yeah. And, and we're in a playoff hunt five minutes ago. And you're saying, now nah, our team's not good enough. Well, I don't understand the just get in there and you have a shot at doing some damage. When you look at his track record, which is he makes up his mind whether he has the team or not and acts accordingly. The, the, the Anyone who listened to that press conference saw a general manager staring at himself in the mirror and trying to figure out if he's the problem. Like, there are so many moments in that press conference where he's talking about this Blues roster, and he's like, well, I don't know if we're a playoff team, but we're certainly better than this. And I'm like, well, better than this if you're two points better than this, you're a playoff team, <laughs> right? So, like, like yeah. I... I one game. I, I think this look, he he's a smart guy. He has to know that this roster is is poorly constructed. He has to know he's made numerous mistakes. You look at that cat friendly page and you see the letters NTC next to the names of like eleven guys in that roster, including more than half of his defense core, which stinks. Um it's it's too much atrophy, it's too much attrition. It's too many quality character guys that define the leadership core of this team uh, being let slip away. The Petrangelo thing obviously is the is the thread that was pulled that unraveled the sweater. Yep. Um, And and you go back to that and think about how he played hardball with a no move clause and allowed Petrangelo to start looking at how green the grass was in the desert uh, to then leave. 
I mean, that's really what set this whole thing in motion. And the roster is a poor, uh, a poor shadow of what it used to be. And look, he, Doug Armstrong's a lucky dude. That guy's got a lot of uh, uh, of friends in the media, and guys that have supported this guy's career, and have been pretty kid glove with his performance as a GM after they won the cup. And I have a feeling that maybe that's going to change now because Ruby gets fired, and you have to take a hard look at why that is, uh, because this roster is yeah. inefficient and it's been mismanaged. You know, I was saying, uh, Jeremy Rutherford was on before, and I was, I was saying to him, you know, I was having a text conversation with someone last night after this happened. This is someone in St. Louis who said, like, look, if, if it were up to Craig Berube, there'd be 12 Braden Shens, there'd be three Joel Edmondsons, and there'd be three Jay Bomeisters, and that would be um, the St. Louis Blues. To the point about Alex Petrangelo, that, that is funny because the whole thing was about the no move. And it, it seemed as if, like, it seemed as if the minute that Petrangelo was let, to walk like the minute that Petrangelo like they 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 got to the point of no return and he went out and signed with the Vegas Golden Knights it seemed as if right away Doug Armstrong went into this mode where and even started before by bringing in Justin Falk as Petrangelo insurance should should things go south and them not be able to re-sign him they tried to go out and get got get defensemen that did each in their own way a little bit of what Alex Petrangelo did Right? right there was Nick Letty does this that Petrangelo did, um, Justin Falk does that that Alex Petrangelo did. It was, uh, but it's like you had the guy. Now you've got to get three <laughs> different defensemen that all do a piece right. of what Petrangelo did, and all Petrangelo wanted to do was stay, and just wanted right. to be guaranteed that he would stay. Like here's a guy that's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame and wanted to stay in St. Louis. Wife was from there, wanted to set up shots, keep, stay, stay, live, raise kids, all of it, probably join, you know, the, the, the youth hockey system with his kids in St. Louis down the way. He wanted to stay, and that's where Doug Armstrong decided to dig in his heels. Yeah, That one to me it's, is it's, still baffling. It's still baffling. It's like you had, you had Voltron... Uh, and but now you're going to go collect uh, a few of the lions that made Voltron to use the reference that I know Merrick doesn't <laughs> understand. Look, here's my point. I don't. Uh, you, you think Alex Petrangelo is a Hall of Famer? <laughs> I do. You do. I do think Alex Petrangelo I, is a I, Hall of Famer. I do. I, he could. I mean, he's okay. So tenth in active scoring. Um, let me give you the name. Uh, let me give you the names ahead of him, and you tell me real quick if these guys are okay. Hall of Famers. Okay. Shea Weber, I think he's a Hall of Famer, yep. right? Okay. Yes, he's Hall Roman of Famer. Yossi. Yep. Roman Yossi. Mm, getting there, yeah, probably will end up there. Doughty's a Hall of Famer because he's Canadian. Um, yes. John Carlson. <laughs> if he were American, he'd still go in, <laughs> although he wouldn't have the gold medals if he was American. Ooh. Oh, damn it. <laughs> John Carlson. <laughs> um, no. Not Canadian a Hall of Famer. killer. He's not a Hall of Famer. Oh, Come on, Merrick. He's not a Hall of here, Famer. Here's the, hang, hang on. Let me. Let, let, hang on. Hang on. Just wait. Wait one second here. The reason I pause on it is I look at how bad Washington was without him. Like I think that sure. was the one player whose injury hurt his team more than anybody else. Push to shove. He's not a Hall of Famer. But I'll pause and think about it. <laughs> 
Ryan Suter? Depends if you're voting on longevity. Yeah, he might get the Mark Howe rub at some point, right? He might he might get there. Well, he did this for a long time. Like he might be the yeah. last guy standing from the 2003 draft. Right. And then the, the three in front of Suter are Hedman, Latang, and Carlson, who I think are all Hall of Famers. And all then going the, in. The guy who's, all going in. The guy who's the leader in points, of course, is Brent Burns, and he's a very interesting case. I think Burns ultimately goes in. Probably. I, I, you know, he, and the I think point the total is so enormous. The longevity, the, the story that you can tell of, of not only the change in position from forward to D, but also like the fact that mm-hmm. he's a weirdo with a bunch of farm animals and snakes and stuff. Like it's all it's all very compelling, <laughs> and and I think that personality wise, like he's it, again, we've often talked about the Hall of Fame in, in the context of you need uh, the the stuff that gets you in the Hall, but you also need the fame. And there's no question that Brent Burns is one of the iconic individuals oh, yeah, 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 yeah. of the last you know twenty years in the NHL. So based on the players that are ahead of him, um, in points, he's got the Cup. He doesn't have a Norris. Is is Petro a Hall of Famer? He's got Probably. the Cup, sir. He's got the cup. He's got the cup. So that's a very good point. He's got the cup. So does yeah. does 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 Vegas win the cup without Alex Petrangelo? Does St. Louis win the cup without Alex Petrangelo? No, nope. no, and no. Yeah. Okay. That's a, a fair. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. He's got the cup. So okay. Um, you get the cup. So uh, put a, put a final thought on this one because I want to talk about your uh, latest piece at ESPN, which I really loved. Uh, and I want to talk to you about another goofy idea I have, which is not so goofy. And it goes back to a conversation I had with someone 20 years ago. Surprise, surprise. Um, final thought on, on Craig Berube here. Drew Bannister takes over. Uh, the thing I, I'll always remember about Berube as the Blues coach and the thing that really impressed me about him is I covered a lot of that cup run. And there was a lot of... Uh, obstacles and weird things that happened in that cup run. There was a lot of adversity that happened in that cup run. There was a lot of moments when you wondered if the house of cards was going to fall down finally for the blues in that cup run. And that man kept that team so unbelievably even keeled, kept that team. So forget about it, move on to the next thing. And you, you could talk about the fact that, you know, Bennington and the way he played and his steely determination was a part of that mindset, but almost all of it tracked back to what Berube was doing behind the scenes and his comportment behind the bench. And I think that they don't win the cup were it not for the way he operated that team and, and his sort of stoicness in, in coaching that team. I, I, I was truly impressed by how much, how much he was a pilot driving the plane through turbulence throughout that run and doing a hell of a job of it. Part of that too is coaches always sell the us against the world, but seldom do they sell us against the organization. Like (laughs) you'll remember that year, Pat Maroon Maroon was getting waived, right? And I've thought about this a lot. If Pat Maroon gets waived that year, 1819 by the St. Louis blues, does he ever come back? Yeah. Do guys like Pat Maroon yeah. ever come back after being waived? Jay Bomeister was going to get waived. Like to the point where when St. Louis is in Toronto, he was not talking to anybody. 
that was a sour, sour player because he was getting waved. People were getting fired. People were getting waved. And then there was a Hail Mary pass Mm -hmm. for Jordan Bennington. And things began to change. But it was very much like the organization doesn't even, like no one believes in us, including the organization. You were going to be waived. You were going to be waived. You were going to be traded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was a pretty unique thing. Like that was like the, yeah. the, the more that we look back at the, uh, um, this generation of hockey, you know, that might be the most interesting Stanley cup that's been won post salary oh, cap for sure. And, and, and your point's really well taken on Maroon. That's, I never thought about that, but you're right. Cause that guy's career after that was basically a rings in the room career, right? Cups. Like that, what this, this guy won, he was a reason they won. He was a character guy. We need somebody in our room that does yeah. that. And brings that that attitude and brings that personality, but oh, by the way, also one. Uh, it's yeah. that's that's really good. A really good point about Maroon. Like it kind of that that saved his career. Completely did. Um, okay, a couple of things here. So Kevin Woodley, uh, who we all know in Goal Magazine, also writes for NHL.com. Um, Woodley a couple of years ago uh, had him on the either the podcast or the radio show. I can't remember which one. And he went on about some smart team is going to sign Charlie Lindgren in the off season. That is a really good American hockey league goalie. Who's finally now ready to be a standout in the NHL. Washington is the team uh, that ended up getting Charlie Lindgren and Brian McClellan looks really smart for it. The guy that he talked about last year was the guy that you write about at ESPN.com. And that is Connor Ingram who is one of those guys that when you look at his background and what he's been through and OCD and the situation in Sweden and everything that he's been through mentally, all the hurdles have been placed in front of him, you can't help but cheering for. I encourage everyone to read Greg's piece at ESPN about Connor Ingram. Um, give us a, the nickel and dime tour of your, of your piece, specifically throwing games in Sweden. Yeah, it's a hell of a story. <laughs> I mean, like, like I, I sat. Down, I I wanted to, I wanted to talk to Ingram just because I was fascinated by you know him kind of like being one of these guys that seemingly came out of nowhere to, to become a starter this year. He's had a little bit of a bump in the road as they had the Coyotes recently, but but overall his numbers are really good. And um, you know, come to come to find out as I'm talking to him, I completely forgot about the whole thing in Sweden because uh, it happened around COVID time. Uh, but he. Mm-hmm. The team he was playing for in Sweden blew this major uh, lead in a game. And uh, during the game, there was some sort of anomaly in the betting market where a lot of people were putting money in real time on the team that was trailing. And so the team that was trailing rallies in the game. And all of a sudden, there's these accusations that Ingram's team threw the game and specifically that Ingram threw the game. And the amazing part about this, because I kind of remembered Ingram being like accused of something like this. The amazing part about this, there's a Swedish radio station that put out a report that the GM of that of that Swedish team said yeah. <laughs> that Ingram had been <laughs> so dismissed bad. from the team uh, yeah. and admitted throwing the game, and they sent him back to the u.s in order to north america and it turns out that this swedish radio station was having a text message conversation 
with a wrong number <laughs> with somebody who was claiming awesome. to be the GM of the team <laughs> and said all this stuff about Ingram. And then they reported yep. it. And then the GM of the team had to come out and say, I never spoke to the station. And so the, the station retract, you know, printed a correction. Ingram told me, they sent me an email just being like, we're so sorry we used your name. We had false information. Like, please don't sue us. <laughs> and so by that time, he's already back in yeah. North America. He's with the Predators organization. They, they kind of tell him or, or they come to a, a conclusion that maybe don't push this any further than it needs to go. No more attention needed to the accusations levied against him. But this is a guy who was accused of match fixing in the Swedish league because a media outlet in Sweden got what they thought was the GM in a text conversation, turned out to be a wrong number, and then had to apologize. And yeah. then, like you said, Merrick, like beyond that, it's all in the story. You can read it on ESPN.com. This guy had undiagnosed OCD. Um, he yeah. he was going to quit hockey, was convinced not to quit hockey when he was with the Predators. Um, also dealt with a lot of depression uh, because he was close with... Um, you know, he's a native of Saskatchewan, so he's close with a lot of the uh, the, the humble Broncos. Like, it's just, it's yep. like a a really, really intense and interesting story. And at the end of the day, like like I think you mentioned with Woodley, at the end of the day, it's also a guy that that was enduring, endured throughout a career that was kind of AHL, ECHL, trying to break through to the NHL, and then finally does it. And um you know, the, it, Bill Armstrong, the GM of the Arizona Coyotes, and his staff, to their credit, had identified Ingram in the AHL. They're like, we, this is the guy who has all the tools that we're looking yep. for in a goaltender. They just had to wait to figure out how to get him, and then the Predators eventually dropped him on waivers, and that's where they got him. Yeah, it's it's a great story. Um, it's available at ESPN.com, uh, Greg Wyshynski's latest, on Connor Ingram. And you know with Arizona as well, there's been a lot of – there have been a, a number of teams. I'm almost – I can't say 100%, but I've, I'm pretty sure that Edmonton called, not about Connor Ingram, but about Corral Vimelka. And Vimelka yeah. has not had an exceptional season by any no, stretch of the not, imagination. Not, not at but all. as yeah, not as at the all. goalie market widens and and you know now very much includes the Carolina Hurricanes, I, I wonder what happens here with uh, with Vimelka. But to the other goaltender, um, the Connor Ingram piece is exceptional. Okay, so you want to hear my uh, conversation with Halford and Bruff this morning on Vancouver Radio? <laughs> Always. Okay, so here's what I was trying to put forward. Um, in this era now, where teams are looking for any advantage. Slight, big, whatever. This this conversation started um, when uh, Halford Bruff and I were talking this morning about um, sleep and how sleep is a weapon and rest is a weapon. And where once upon a time, remember how people laughed at Mike Gillis and the sleep studies and sleep patterns of the Vancouver Because Like, what is he doing? Like, you know what the NHL is like. like. If anything is a little bit different, it's awful. And then, you know, years later when it's proven to be, you know, a pretty good idea, it's like, oh, well, we, we always knew this was self-evident. This isn't new information. It's like, okay, you greet it with ridicule. And then when you get ridiculed, it's like, oh, no, we've, we've known about this. Anyhow, and so here's one of the things that I've always wondered about. And it came off of a conversation 
that I had with um, actually someone who works with the Ottawa Senators now uh, in the strength and conditioning uh, department. That's Matt Nickel. So when Matt Nickel was with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, under Pat Quinn, one of the things that he told me he would talk to Pat about is the idea of practices. Now, you and I on the old podcast would talk about the ridiculousness of the morning skate. And we all know the ritual of the morning skate is just to make sure the guys don't get buckled the night before essentially it's a way to keep your team sober right like we're gonna have a morning skate so we can't go out late at night times have changed players are different what nickel would talk to quinn about and quinn liked the idea um was you know you look at advantages in the nhl and i'll bring it up to right now as you look for advantages i've always wondered why teams don't practice at night instead of practicing during the day the idea being you want to train your body to peak athletically Um, and get itself into a natural rhythm so it understands that at 7 o'clock, my body needs to athletically peak. Why not do day of, sorry, why not do practice skates in the evening when you would be playing instead of doing it in the morning when it should be all about rest and recovery? Now, Nickel told me that Quinn liked the idea but thought it wouldn't be worth it because the players would grumble too much about it or be too upset about it because you were taking their evenings away. He said, it's a good idea. It probably scientifically makes sense and is a sane thing to do, but the pushback would make it not worth it. What do you think of the idea? Getting rid of morning skates, making them evening skates so the bodies are conditioned to peak athletically when you should be playing. Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were at a really good restaurant in a city that was outside of Toronto? Uh, that probably would have... That was Vegas at the NHL Players Tour. Okay. Okay. Vegas is a great example. So I ha, at these restaurants, at a restaurant that like that, think about the one you went to. Uh, think about what the okay. lunch menu looks like. And then think about what the dinner menu looks like. And then think about the town where that mm-hmm. restaurant is and think about what it's like around noon versus what it's like around, say, eight or nine o'clock. Okay. Now, when would you like to practice? <laughs> oh, well, that's just it. Like, you will, you will get grossing from the players. Well, that's the whole point, Barry. Yeah, I don't if think you're on the road. From if, I'm in Vegas, if I'm in Vegas, if I'm in Vegas yeah. and, you're t- and you're my coach yeah. and, you're, and I am like, all right, off. Off night in Vegas, we've got tickets to <laughs> Carrot Top. I'm so excited. And then you're like, we've got to practice the penalty kill tonight. I was being so angry. Yep. <laughs> okay. So that's funny. Absolutely ridiculous. Hang on, hang on. So here's what I got this morning when I had a conversation with someone from an NHL team about this today. This person said to me, "It's a good idea." Um, like everything else, um, it's a new idea, so everyone will resist it and say it's stupid. But he said something along the lines of what you're talking about here, which is players will grumble a lot about it. Like they, they really will. He said it makes sense athletically. And if you're looking for an advantage and get all your players on the same page about it and focused about it, they'll probably do better. He said the problem is we're dealing with human beings and not horses. If hockey players were horses... Great idea. This is when we're working out, horse. The problem is you have to say, this is when we're working out, human being. But if you're looking for advantages, I'm surprised no one's at least, no no one's really 
inter- even entertain the idea around the NHL to try to do it a little bit differently and do what would be a morning skate in the evening instead. Yeah, not to mention, I just realized you screwed up the entire news cycle as well. Like you got, you're gonna have reporters. Oh, that's that's the big one. That's the Re- big report, one. <laughs> reporters, reporters who are already like, sorry, honey, I gotta cover the game tonight. Now they're like, sorry, honey, I have to cover yeah. practice tonight. Every night, tonight. every single night, there'll be a thing. Now we're now we're baseball writers. Um, <laughs> okay, let me okay let, let me let me ask you this. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one coach around the NHL who you could see doing it, who would it be, and why is the answer Rod Brendamore? <laughs> that might be the only one. Yeah, that might be the answer. He might, might he, be the answer. He, uh, he 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 might be. Speaking of uh, speaking of his teams, uh, I know they won last night against the Ottawa Senators. Oh, and by the way, I was mentioning this off the top of the show. Is this now a, a thing? Like officially a thing that whenever Ottawa loses at home, everybody you know leaves uh, leaves the Canadian Tire Center. Um, and goes to the parking lot all chanting fire DJ. Like, is it default position now? Is it automatic that that's what happens in Ottawa? Well, it's it's interesting because I got... So I got a coach's hot seat thing coming out tomorrow. And, like, now that Baruby... Baruby was actually with DJ in, like, the hottest of hot tier. Like, I, I thought that there was a chance Baruby yeah. might go at some point. But, like, I think there's two things that are kind of working in his favor right now. One is that... With a new, uh, you have a new owner that doesn't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel too quickly there, and and I think by all accounts the the players like their coach. Um, yep. And then the other thing is that you don't have a GM in place. And again, I've I've long been suspicious that Steve Steos is going to end up doing a Dick Cheney or a Kyle Dubas on this thing and be like the candidate was me the whole time. I see it. But I but I know <laughs> we talked about it before. I, I've heard from too many people that yeah. say that I'm. I'm barking up the wrong tree there. So that being established, like, why would you, f- yeah. why would you fire your coach before hiring the guy that's just going to fire your coach? Like, there's no reason to. Yep. So I think that's actually all the things that are happening above DJ Smith's pay grade. I think I think are going to what what's going to ultimately keep him in a job longer than than he would be. Yeah, I, I think that the the plan all along this year for the Ottawa Senators um, and the Shane Pinto situation kind of scotched it for the GM was that they were going to go through this season because let's not forget here, like they didn't get like the, the the new owners of this team uh, didn't get this team until late. So I think the one thing yeah. that and Lauer and then when he brought in Steve Stales wanted was calm. I don't think they wanted yeah. to come in and knock the chessboard off the table. Like, they didn't. So I think that their idea was, we're going through this season with Pierre Dorian, we're going through this season with DJ Smith, and then we're going to do something. Um, yeah. But when the, um, not just Shane Pinto, but uh, the Donoff situation happened and the penalty was incurred, like, okay, so that was it. Um, that was it for Pierre Dorian. And that sort of changed everything. Now there's an open general manager position, and they're trying to fill that. I think a lot of us strongly suspect the general manager that Steos and the Ottawa Senators want is currently employed, and their team will not allow him to escape during the season. We'll have to wait until the off season. Therefore, there's no point in getting rid of DJ Smith, even if ultimately that's going to be your decision, but it's really going to be the general manager's decision. So now they're stuck because the fans are howling for it, and you wonder at what point the pressure just becomes too much. Like, for yeah. DJ Smith's sake and for the Ottawa Senators' sake, you just hope that they'll win a little bit more. So, and if you're going to, like, 
do all the losing you want on the road if you're going to lose. Just don't lose at home. Just so <laughs> all that pressure can be sort of relieved. You know what I mean? Like, do your losing on the road. Look at, you know, there's a don't lot. Don't do it at home. There's the, thing about, the thing about Smith, though, like, look, look, I mean, obviously, like, the Pinto situation and the Shabbat injury have both been extremely deleterious to the Senators' success. Uh, their goaltending yeah. uh, has not been anywhere near as good as we all expected it to be. I think it's like 23rd or 22nd in the league in team save percentage. Um, and then under under the hood, they're not great. Like they're, I think they're like 24th in expected goals differential, uh, even though they're like ninth in the league in, in goals per game. So they're very mid. They're like the poster children from mid. And, and they also haven't played a lot of games. So they're actually, <laughs> from a points percentage perspective, like not – in the basement, yeah. even though they are in the basement. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if they did decide to make a change, there's still enough runway here, assuming that you get Shabbat back and knowing that you get Pinto back to maybe maybe make a run at a wild card. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could. Um, but I just think mm. that all of those things that we just discussed about the hierarchy and, and the uncertainty about who's going to lead this team and everything else like might just make it impossible to get rid of the guy at this point. The thing about Ottawa is too, let me just call this up real quickly. I, I looked at this the other day and went, oof. Now I understand it. Like when you're in the position that the Ottawa senators are in, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of, Oh, that's tough <laughs> moments. But if you look at the Ottawa Senate, cause you're trying to make up games. You're like, you're right. Like, um, heading into this week, it's like, okay, now the Ottawa Senators are going to start to get these four-game weeks, right? The last two have been three-game weeks, and next week they get the four-game week. But you look at some of the teams they have on the horizon. They got the Blues, and we'll see if there's, we'll see if there's a Drew Bannister bump uh, for the mm. St. Louis Blues come Thursday as they face off against the Ottawa Senators. And then the other part of the back-to-back there are the Dallas Stars. And if that's not enough, here come the Vegas Golden Knights. Then you have the Arizona Coyotes who have taken a small step backwards. But then you have the Colorado Avalanche. And then you have the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then you have the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then you have the always dangerous New Jersey Devils. Like, this is not... If you're looking to make up some ground here and pick up some points as you're you're playing a lot of, your, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of games, this is not the schedule to do it with. This is a really, really tough schedule, and especially when you have injuries and suspensions, the likes of which Ottawa still does. Well, I don't know, America. I mean, if the, Blues, if the Blues can beat the Avalanche in a playoff series, uh, really anything can happen. <laughs> uh, that's fair comments. Um, uh, quick thought on the All-Star revamping. Uh, I, I got a punt on this one, but uh, someone is walking away with $1 million. <laughs> I personally think that it should always be for these events. If you want to see the guys go hard, put escrow on the line, but that's just <laughs> me from my little goofy corner. Uh, your thoughts on the, the revamping of the skills competition? Batman mentioned this on ESPN last night, uh, that it's 500000 to the player and 500000 to charity, which I had heard was going to be the case. Yeah, and and is probably going to be the case. Uh, two things on this, real quick. First of all, uh, I I actually love the the limited field. Like I love that fact it's twelve players. I'm sorry to all those fans that don't get to yeah. see their guy uh, in the hardest shot competition. Uh, the All Star Game should be about stars. You're going to get twelve of the biggest, and it's going to be fun to see them all competing in the same events against each other, following it through. It's going to be very reality show feel. I I love the I, I love the concept of it being a limited field. Second thing, I thought about you when they announced one of these events. 
Did you see that in the What's shootout that? challenge, the penalty shot challenge, how they're going to gimmick it up? The skaters, the skater with the fewest amount of accumulated points in the skills competition at that point is going to have mm-hmm. the opportunity to pick which of the eight goaltenders he wants yes. to try to score against. Yes. And I thought about you because I thought Love this that. is the closest we're Love getting that. to Merrick's pie in the sky, <laughs> have the playoff team pick its first round opponent uh, scenario that yep. you've wanted for, for as long as I've known you. Having a skater pick the yes. goalie he thinks he can score against is the closest we're getting to the swaggery, kayfabe rivalry so type thing that you've wanted so forever juicy. in the playoffs. Yes. yes. See, I looked at that and said, okay, somewhere down the road, maybe. I don't even know if it's going to be in my lifetime. (laughs) Maybe the NHL does this. And for those that don't know and haven't heard it before, the idea is, and this would be such a great TV event and make instant rivalries, for the opening round of the playoffs, the high seeds get to choose their opponents in the opening round. Now, do you choose it based on who your your own record is good against, uh, the health of the opposite team, travel? I don't know. But right away, you have built a new storyline into every single opening round series. And there was what some, I thought when I saw that last league. night was this: this is this is yes, they had they have some some leagues have tried this. I looked at right. it last night and said, "This is the opening of the door, please, maybe to this <laughs> happening because it's just going to be so delicious." And I, I for one, and I, you're on the same page. I love it. Choose your goaltender yeah. in the shootout. The, that I love. Well done. But I, man, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know about the playoff thing. I, I still think that they're, they're gonna just pick the lowest seed. You and I differ on that. We've always differed on it. But this thing, I'm all for it, and I'm excited. I got, I got. If you didn't read it, I've got a news story about all of the details and the skills, including uh, the role that Connor McDavid played in crafting these events, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. And that's up on yeah. ESPN as well. Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, We'll talk to you in seven days. Say hello to Arda as well and continue to success with The Drop. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I shall.